0: All right, if you have your Bibles today, we are going to be looking at a portion of Scripture that is found in Matthew, the second chapter. I'll be reading out of Matthew, the second chapter, several verses here, verse 7 all the way through verse 11. So let's go there for a few moments. Matthew 2, verse 7 says, Then Herod... When he had privately called the wise men, encountered, uh, inquired, excuse me, of them diligently, what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, "Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him." Also, when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm going to talk to you for a little while today about the power of intentionality. The power of intentionality. Uh, In this uh, text, there are many things that, that we could consider, but there is something specific that I would like to communicate to you today, so if you'll stay with me for just a little while, I want to raise something out of this text. But before we get there, real quickly, have you ever heard the statement, money doesn't grow on trees? You've heard it. Uh, maybe, maybe you've said it, maybe you've used it, or someone said this to you. Uh, they were trying to get your attention, they were trying to help you, they were investing in your life, they were giving you a little bit of wisdom, but they said, money doesn't grow on trees. Now, I ask this as a follow-up question of if you've heard this statement or not, but what comes to mind... What comes to mind when you slow down long enough to consider what the statement is actually referencing? Money doesn't grow on trees. I would imagine for most it would be something like this. There are no free lunches. There are no free lunches. Now, that may be news for some, depending on on where you are in life. This may be news to you, and and it may be shocking news, or it may be welcome news, or news that you don't want anything to know about, but the truth is, there are no free lunches. For every person that stands outside of a mission, stands outside of some place that is providing blankets, medicine, food, shelter, no matter what it is, no matter what they're standing there in line for, the truth is that blanket, that medicine, that lunch, that shelter is not free. Now, to them, it may be free. But somewhere, someone made contributions, someone invested, someone took up the cause, someone believed in the mission and said, yes, I want to be a contributor and make this available for people who cannot acquire on their own. And so we say there's a free meal, there's a free lunch, there's free shelter, there's free medical care. But the truth is somebody paid for that and it wasn't free. Amen. It, it wasn't free. Somebody contributed somewhere. And, and I, 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 maybe this comes to mind when we say money doesn't grow on trees. Maybe you think like some others think, not necessarily there are no free lunches. You may be thinking something like this. Anything worth having is worth working for. It depends on how you were raised. You were either raised with a free lunch mentality or you were raised with anything worth having is worth working for. You, you you were raised one of two ways. Or maybe you were raised that way and decided, I don't like that way of thinking, I'm going to go over here. The free stuff sounds a whole lot better than the working for stuff. Or maybe you're tired of being the one that's always receiving and you said, I want to be on the side that's on the giving. I, I don't know. But if you've been around the church long enough, you do know that the Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to Receive. It's more blessed to be on the side that's contributing than on the side that's receiving. But but sometimes we don't, we don't understand it that way. But whatever it means to you, here is the fact. The fact remains that purposed effort, purposed effort, is the only thing that will provide an intended and intentional result. Purposed efforts will provide intended and intentional results, period. If you have no purposed effort in your life, then honestly, your future is questionable at best. Your future has no guarantee at all in any area attached to it if you're not living in a way where there are purposed efforts involved in your everyday life. All you can do is set back and hope things work out. Hope things get better. Hope things Fall into place. But you have no guarantee if you're not putting forth the effort. But if you make the decision to put forth a purposed effort in whatever area of life that it is, in your spiritual life, in your family life, in, in your material life, in your career, if you put forth the necessary purposed effort, then your future is guaranteed because you have an intended and an intentional result ahead of you. Something will come out of the effort that you put forth in in your uh, intentionality. Intentionality is, by definition something that is done with intention. I mean, is that is that amazing? I could have wrote that definition. I, I looked this up and I was amazed. You know, people get all this credit and, and they, their names go down and, in history and they define things. And I was like, man, I, I could, that, that's one that I could have done. Intentionality, done with intention. Okay. Or on purpose, intended. I get it. All right. Intentionality is something that is done On purpose, not accidentally, not something that happened out of nowhere, but you and I made a decision that I will on purpose take up this activity, like the people that provide the free lunches they on purpose put forth effort to make sure when it starts snowing in Denver that there are blankets available for the people that have been coming from all over the country and and no matter how the elections look for you this week, it matters not to me. There were a few things that I was really happy about and a few of those things were this. I'm really happy that other states legalize marijuana. Hate if you want to. We can be honest or we can be religious. But either way, the truth is, we've had so many... Our homeless population has exploded here in the last few years because people want to come from all over the country and not go to the beautiful mountains and ski. They want to come and get an Airbnb and get high for four days. Hello? Hello? And so what happens is sometimes they sacrifice everything they have for momentary momentary answers or relief or whatever it may be and end up on our streets not realizing that it is going to get cold in a few months. And that park bench that you're hanging out on is not going to feel good when it's covered in ice. So go drive downtown and go past some of the missions and the rescue places and see the lines of people that are laying out by the fences and hanging out on the sidewalks all over our downtown area now Wanting somebody else to provide a blanket, provide a roof, provide food, provide medical. And we're like, this is the greatest thing that ever happened, really? To put people in more of a jeopardized position than they were already in in their life and we're doing good with this? We're we're happy about this. We're we're okay with this. I'm just saying that with other states that have legalized some of this, maybe they can take on some of the responsibility for the free lunches instead of all of us having to pay for all the free lunches. I know, I know, I know. This is church. I'm supposed to be nice and not not say all of this stuff, but it's, it's true. It's true. Somebody on purpose had to Buy the food, prepare the food, pay for the building, keep the lights on, get the blankets there, go get the sleeping bags, get the cleaning supplies. Are you hearing me? They had to do all of that. The only reason there is a result for people not to freeze on our streets and starve on our streets is because somebody else put forth a purposed effort and the intended result was I'm going to help somebody not die until they can wake up and realize they're on the wrong track and they're not getting where they want to go. They need to wake up and realize this isn't the answer. Okay, So we're not against people, it's just understanding how all of this works. If intended results will happen, if intentional things come about, they only come about because somewhere, somebody had a purposed effort in mind. And everybody shout amen. Now, I'm going to tell you up front that I do not in any way intend on finishing this message today. Give your neighbor a high five and say, thank God. I thought we were going to be here all day. Amen. No, no, I'm going to let you out before too long. So I'm not going to finish this message today. In fact, I'm going to finish the second half. I'm going to preach the second half. I'm coming back to this. Everybody say, when, Pastor? Not next week. Not the week after that. Not the third week or the fourth week or the fifth week. I'm going to come back to this six weeks from now on December the 23rd. So if you want the second half of the message, you got to hang with us for six weeks or you have to at least come back on Christmas or you're not even going to know the rest of the story. I mean, it's like the biggest Paul Harvey letdown that you have ever experienced in your life, page two. So anyway... (laughs) It's just, it's just, it's one of those deals where I don't plan on finishing it today, but I do purposefully intend on putting forth the effort to finish it on December the 23rd. So, there's the there's, there's result. You'll have to come back. Now, the, the events, and I think this, this is obvious to you, from our text, the events surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ, they hold great intrigue for, for those of us who are of the Christian faith. Those that are not of Christian faith, they don't really think much about it. It's just materialism and it's just about the holidays and vacations and fun and things. But for us that, that, that claim Christianity, the birth of Jesus Christ is, is the centerpiece of all Humanity and history of humanity, because it's in the birth of Jesus Christ that we deal with the incarnation, and the incarnation is possibly the greatest subject in the entire Bible. It, there, there isn't a there isn't a subject that that supersedes the incarnation. It's the incarnation that makes sense of the whole thing. If without the incarnation, this is just. Uh, take it or leave it, confusing opinions, base it here. But with the incarnation, it ties up all of the loose ends and it brings everything together right there that God was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hallelujah. The incarnation, the the birth of Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of all history, human history. History and our faith is based and founded in this reality. And so when we talk about the birth of Jesus Christ, we, we have such intrigue there that, that I can tell you from my perspective, my little simple point of view, and you guys are wondering why the kids are here. The kids are here because uh, if you know Vertical Church, you know what Sunday this is, and I want our kids to be a part of this Sunday. So we had them go out from the beginning so they could have Sunday school for the first hour, and then we wanted them to come in For the latter part of the service today. So don't let it bother you. We're glad they're here. We want them here. We set it up that way. Amen. So I have, I have over the years preached countless sermons concerning the various aspects of the amazing event of the Incarnation. I don't even know how many messages through the years that I've preached about concerning this event. There have been uh, entire December Sundays, month-long series that I've preached every Sunday about the Incarnation. I've preached uh, so many times through the years surrounding all of the intricate details of this, this amazing event. And, and just to kind of clarify some things here for those that are wondering I do know that this is November <laughs> and yes I do know that I am preaching a December the 25th message six weeks early on November the 11th I, 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 I am a few days older than Tim years, months, whatever it may be but I haven't lost all of my faculties yet I was with some friends a few days ago that I haven't been with in a while and we were laughing at a campsite when my buddy was saying alright, I'm going to bed, I gotta take my ears, my hearing aids out, I gotta take my teeth out, and he has a breathing machine, and, and I was teasing him about all this, I'm like, man, you are getting old, what is all this stuff, you're taking this off, I mean, you get old and have to start detaching your whole body, it's like, it's it's like one of those Mr. Potato Heads, you know, You you <laughs> during the day, you got all of this disguise on and everything's good, and then at night, your loved one pulls everything apart, takes everything off, and you're laying in the bed, Justin, just like a potato just, that's it that's that's old age that's the future and that's where we're headed but i do know i'm not there yet i haven't lost everything and and i do know this this is november and it's not december and i do know that i'm preaching a christmas message in november so everybody say okay so just say okay that helps pastor hey, Amen. i was worried about you for a few for a few moments there but here's here's the deal My thoughts on this text today, find a position in a, in a detail that I honestly don't recall having ever considered before. Now, I said all the other to, to say that. I preach from this so many times that I don't even know all of the angles but I do know this: God showed me something in the Scripture that I haven't considered before. And and when that happens, I just I'm overwhelmed by it. I'm like, wow! Why? It may not have the same effect on you, but it but it does to me. The Bible said Herod. Just just for a little uh, history here, we know that it most likely wasn't. The way our dramas portray it okay that all of these events happened at the same time and they were all hanging out at the manger and all of this stuff and wise men. we know that that this was a this this was a protracted amount of time and and could be possibly in this text that we read this could have been fulfilled over maybe a 24-month period of time. It, it could be that Jesus was around the age of two, a young toddler, not just this little infant in a manger when these men show up. Whether it was or not is beside the point. I just want to let you know that sometimes when you read the text and you see the way things are uh, put into drama it isn 't always that way, and so coming back to have a little bit of understanding of the scripture is always good but it 's not a heaven or hell salvation kind of deal it 's just interesting information so Herod meets with and 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 he meets with as the Bible says, wise men he brings wise men in he didn't he didn 't bring in people with with no understanding or knowledge, or he brought in men that had notoriety. He brought in men who who um, had recognition. He brought in men. Who had experience? Men that were trained. Men that, uh, as the old saying says, they had corn in the crib. These, these were men who were not just uh, newcomers showing up. But he calls wise men, and he, the Bible said it. This this is the word that's used. He diligently pressed on them. He he questioned them. It, it wasn't passive. It wasn't quick. It wasn't just a fleeting, if you will, moment. But But Bobby, he took the time to ask them specifically. Here is Herod, a figurehead of power and political control in the day, looking at men in his cabinet, in his kingdom. And he isn't, David, just letting this slip by, but he's diligently saying, you saw what and what happened to you and you have to give me every detail. Don't leave anything out. And Herod is pressing in diligently, the Bible said, to these wise men about this star and what was going on. And he's not giving them a way out, and then he tasked them, you go to Bethlehem, you go and find who this is. You go find what this is all about. Because I, the way I understand it is this may be a leader of another people. This may be the threat to my power. This may be the individual that becomes the figurehead that undermines everything that I'm built on. And this is not something we can let go. It would be at better if we can take care of this now than it would be us take care of this somewhere else down the road. You have to understand how important this is. And he's on them, he's pressing them, he's diligent with them. And the Bible it, it says it this way: He inquires of them about that star. When did it appear? And he sends them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and search diligently. Here's the here's the here's the the second part: is that I, I want you to go search diligent in Bethlehem like I have questioned and acquired of you diligently I want you to take the same intensity I want you to take the same measures I want you to take the same level of importance that I've taken to question you about this star I want you to carry that with you to Bethlehem and don't leave one stone unturned. Don't leave one question not asked. You go there and find out what this star is about and who that person is and what that baby represents. You go there because you have to understand this is everything our kingdom is built upon and if you drop the ball, we will struggle in the future. And so you have to go there and diligently find out what this is all about. Huh, that's amazing to me. And he said, and when you have found Him, bring me word again that I may come and worship Him. This is interesting. How how Herod wanted... it's, It's human nature. We want everybody else to do the hard work. We want everybody else to do the sacrifice. We want everybody else to do the labor. We want everybody else to put forth the effort. We want everybody else to work from daylight to dark. But what we want to do is stand outside on the sidewalk and say I get a free lunch at what time? Noon. Okay, I'll be there. I'm going to go play and do my own thing and hang out and have my mind mindlessly wandering elsewhere. But at noon I'm going to be there for my soup. I'm going to be there. But everybody else has to get there at five and fix the bread and open the door and heat the place up and get the material and fold the blankets and get the medicine together and get... Everybody else has to. And that was Herod's position. Herod's position was you go find him. You go figure it out. You go get it all worked out. And then send me word and I'll come along and do it my part then. People want to just slip in at the end and get all of the same things that those who are giving receive. It's the spirit of Herod. He wants something for nothing. And, and we see it being played out in the Scripture. He said, bring, bring me the word and I'll come and worship him also. They heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Notice it didn't say the infant or the newborn. It says the young child. So it leads us to believe that some time had elapsed here. They come to where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and notice what the Bible said they did. They fell down. Okay, think about it for a moment. I've taken the time try to develop this a little bit here is wise men that are chosen and sent on a mission to go somewhere else it wasn't out of the ordinary for them to go on a mission like this and bring gifts of honor to the dignitary that they were going to see or that they would encounter and so in truth it is what was expected if they had gone on this journey without bringing gifts of Of honor, it would have been a disgrace to them and their king and their kingdom and everything that they represented if they would have showed up with their hands. Empty if they would have come into the presence of another king, come into the presence of another powerful political person, they had to go there in a in, with a measure of respect, and so they're carrying with them gifts to to present once they arrive. We understand this, we see this but but I don't think that that they realized what was going to happen when they got there. Here's what happened. When they walked in and they saw the young child and they saw his mother Mary, the Bible said they fell down. The first thing that they did, notice this, they're representing another king. They're representing another kingdom. They're representing another power. They are there on a mission by the authority of someone else. And when they come into the presence of this one that was just a young child, Child. They were so overwhelmed that they had to forget about the mission that they were on. And they fell down and began to worship one that was greater than what they represented, greater than the task they were given, greater than the person who had who had who had in, in effect pushed them toward the journey. They fell down, and the Bible said the second thing they did is they began to worship him. That is so incredible to me because the right way to approach Him has always been and will always be first by submission. They fell down before Him. Amen. And they surrendered, if you will. And second, it's always about worship and it's always about honor. If you're ever going to approach Him, you have to approach Him through submission and you have to approach Him through surrender. And when you've approached approached him that way the next thing that will begin to happen in your life is a spirit if you will of worship will well up with inside of you and there will be nothing other that you can do than honor him they fell down they surrendered to him and they began to worship him when you approach the Lord don't approach him any other way he only takes it that kind of respect if you will one way And that is surrender. You can't, and I can't, effectively worship Him without surrender in our life. You ever seen people that worship without surrender? It turns into a fleshly show. It turns into it's all about me, production. Worship that moves the heart of God and truly honors Him is worship that first is preceded by sacrifice, if you will, submission, if you will, surrender, if you will. And when you do that, worship takes on a completely different tone altogether. When you're bowing down in your heart and lifting up your hands at the same time, God is moved by that. And He begins to operate in your midst. But when you come hard and indifferent, different and cold and I represent Herod and we're here and, and it never comes across the way it's supposed to and so when they see the one the one that was the reason for their journey in the first place they couldn't help but fall down and start to worship him amen Now, we see it often at this time of year, and we'll begin to see it even more in the coming weeks, but you'll see marquees, and you'll see printed uh, material and advertisements, and you'll even hear it being said, "'Wise men still seek Him.'" Wise men still worship Him. It's on church marquees. You'll see it all over the place. Yes, we get it. We know they were wise men. And when they got there, they realized we need to surrender our experience. We We need to surrender all of our knowledge. We need to surrender everything we have to Him because He is the one that deserves all. They didn't walk in saying, look at us, know who we represent, where we're from. You need to respect us. They walked in and worshipped a young child. Not someone sitting on a throne, not someone with a great army behind them, not someone with a scepter in their hand, crown on their head, but a young child and its mother. And when they saw Him, they were so taken back, they fell down and began to worship Him. Wise men do still seek and worship Him. And what happens, this truly does change a person's life. And doing this can change your life completely. Alright? I'm not even to my message yet, so that's why I'm not preaching all of it today. Okay? I'm only preaching the first half. You have to come back December the 23rd to, see, to, to hear, hear part two. But, but here, here's the deal. You want your life to change? I'll tell you how your life can change completely. It can change by taking two simple steps. One is in the presence of the King. Surrender your life to Him. Surrender. Take everything you are, everything you have, everything you've been equipped with, everything you've been given, everything, and just offer it to Him. I fall down at your feet. I can't stand in your presence. This, 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 this belongs to you. You, your life will change. I promise you completely when you approach Him first in surrender, and second when you just forget about everybody else and everything else and the environment and what's going on, and say, "I'm going to worship Him. I'm not just going to surrender my life. I'm going to." There's a big difference in surrender and worship. Surrender is here; it is all. Oh, worship is I'm glad I have somebody to give it to. Yeah. Amen. Worship is here; it is, and it all belongs to you. Amen. And so worship when we begin to worship Him not because we have to or we're being made to or we feel guilty about it or somebody's putting pressure on us but I start thinking about the goodness of the Lord I start thinking about whose presence I'm in I start thinking about the one that I'm in the atmosphere of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who is the very incarnation of our living God something inside of me wants to say I love you something inside of me wants to say I lift my hands to you I honor and praise you I give you glory you are awesome there is none that compares worship comes out of a surrendered life and if you try to worship without surrender it never comes off the same never feels the same looks the same or is received the same and so here is where I want to for a few minutes direct your attention And and, and that is in what they did next. Right? They fell down. They worshipped Him. But they didn't stop there. And the Bible tells us that they opened their treasures. This This is where a lot of people get it wrong. And that is the opening of the treasures of our life only will come about when we've surrendered and worshipped and it's the next thing in line. Some people have struggles with the treasures of their life because they're not surrendered. And treasures opened never will precede surrender. And it never will precede Worship. But what happens when you surrender and when you worship, the very next thing is the treasures are, of your life are open. Some people, the treasures of their life are not open because they're not worshiping. And they're not worshiping because they're not surrendered. And when you're not surrendered, you can't worship. And if you're not surrendered and worshiping, you'll never open the treasures of your life to this one that you're not engaged with. It's in the Scripture. I'm not making this up. And this is perhaps the most difficult part of the whole process for most people. The most difficult part is opening the treasures of our life. You think surrender's hard? You think worship's hard? It's even more difficult to open the treasures of your life without surrender and worshiping you. But once surrender and worship is there... Opening the treasures is just the natural thing that happens and it's not difficult at all. People find it difficult because the surrender is, is not there. This, this is why. Because the Bible says in Luke 12, 24, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You can say, well, my, I, the, my, my, my heart is in the things of God. My heart is in a relationship with God. My heart is in the church. My heart is in Christianity. But if your treasure's not there, your heart's not there. Your treasure may be your job. Your treasure may be your family. Your treasure may be your pastimes. Your treasure may be your hobbies. Your your treasure may be your future. I don't know what it is, but I can promise you this, that wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And if your treasure's not here, it doesn't matter how you look, how you act, how you talk, what you represent, how you try to pull everything off and and let people think you're something. If your treasure's not here, your heart heart is not here. It's not up for debate. The Scripture does not present it in any other way. There's no other option. It's very clear. And here's the thing, that where our treasure is, it affects the most life-giving source of our being, our heart. If your treasure's not in the church, then your heart's not in the church. And your heart is the most life-giving part of your being. And there's no spirituality. There's no growth. There's no maturity. There's, hello, somebody. There, none of that happens when the life-giving support is not there. So so hear me, surrender and worship aligns one's heart to the things of God. So treasure is the things of God. And so if I surrender and I worship, then my heart will be in alignment with the things of God. And the next thing that happens is I open the treasures of my life. But if surrender's not there and worship's not there, then I'm not in alignment in my heart and so my treasure's not there. Somebody shout "Amen." amen. Amen. And so then the miraculous transpired because when their treasures were opened, the Bible said, what did they do next? They gave gifts. So you don't give gifts without your treasure being opened and the treasure of your life is not open unless you worship and if you're not worshiping it's probably because you're not surrendered and this is a chain reaction through the whole thing it all starts with surrender and when surrender takes place they fell down before him the next thing that happened was they worshipped him and when they worshipped him they opened the treasures of their life and when they opened the treasures of their life out of their treasures came a spirit of generosity and they began to give, some people don't give and do not possess generosity because they have no surrender in their life and when there's no surrender in their life there will never be any generosity in their life somebody's not helping me today say ouch or amen or oh no or whatever but let me know you're alive out there generosity flows out of a God centered life I'm going to say it again, generosity flows out of a God-centered life. And if, you're, if God is not the center of your life, generosity will not be there. Don't get mad at the preacher. Don't get mad at the Bible. Don't get mad at God. Don't get mad at the church. Don't get mad at this. Get mad at your flesh because your flesh is owning you. You're still owned by Herod that doesn't want to worship and do the hard work. He wants somebody else to go do it and then tell me and I'll come and show up. That's the flesh. The flesh doesn't want to surrender. The flesh doesn't want to give in. The flesh wants everybody else to do the work and the flesh wants to line up for the free lunch but money doesn't grow on trees. Somebody had to get out there and purposefully say I'm putting effort forth and this effort that I'm putting forth will have an intended result. And so generosity flows out of a God-centered life. You don't have to tell me where you are with God. I'm your pastor. I know that you didn't sleep on the street this week, not eat one meal. And I go down a long list of stuff. You're here today because financially something came into your life. And if that isn't reflected... In what you do here, in a moment of giving, I don't have to go pray. I wonder where Matt's at. God, could you just tell me where Matt is? Oh, I'm just so wonder where David is spiritually. If David doesn't give, I know where David is spiritually. If Matt doesn't give, I know where Matt is spiritually. I don't need spiritual perception. I don't need God to say, speak and say, "Okay, I'm going to talk to you about Hollywood." Because generosity flows out of a God-centered life. And if generosity is not there, then God is not the center of your life. Simple. I know it's a Christmas story. You wanted me to preach it on December the 23rd, but I'm preaching on November the 11th. Everybody shout, generosity. Generosity. It is, it's it's there. When a person is negligent in giving, it is an evident sign of an unbalanced and unfaithful spiritual life. And guess what? I didn't read that in a book. I wrote it myself. Put that on a board and hang it in your house. Paint that up at your next outing and, and put it up. People take all these little quotes. Put some of my quotes in your house. If a person is negligent in their giving, it is an evident sign of an unbalanced and an unfaithful spiritual life. It's a telltale sign. You cannot be God-centered living a spiritual life and be unbalanced and unfaithful in the area of giving. It does not happen that way. Never will, never has, doesn't. It doesn't. So the Bible said they opened their treasures and they gave gifts. It started flowing because they were submitted, they were worshiping, they opened their lives, and then the blessings of gifts they began to give. Now, let it sink in for a moment. I'm going to just cover three things and then I'll close. First, they gave gold. Gold. This is the gifts that they gave. Gold is, as we all know, just a yellow metallic element that's highly malleable. And it's not subject to oxidation or corrosion. This is interesting to me. Because the first thing they gave to him was something of value and something that would not waste away. Right. It was, it was, it, it's free, if you will, of corrosion and oxidation. It will be as pure and pristine 10 years, 20 years, whatever, down the road as it is right now. So the first thing they gave to him was something of value. The second thing was frankincense, which is an aromatic gum resin from various asian and african trees and it's it's used chiefly by definition for burning as incense in religious ceremonies and practices so they gave frankincense that was something that came from trees that had to be harvested there and it was used in religious ceremonies and practices and it 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 had a uh perfume like quality to it and um what this was, was an expression of sacred. Everybody say sacred. It's that religious part of it. So what they gave to him secondly was first gold of value, second frankincense, which was a giving of expressed sacred honor. So it was as sacred as it could be in a religious manner. They offered it to him. In other words, we heard we heard Tim talk about earlier just uh, uh, conversion of young people of uh, Buddhist beliefs, sacred. They're, people of various religious beliefs and things all over the world they consider what they're doing as sacred, sacred, and they said, "Wise men from another place come and say, here is the most sacred." Thing, an honorable thing that we can give, and instead of giving it to someone else, we're giving it to this king right here. And it was their expression. The third thing was the myrrh, and it was aromatic in uh, in in. It, coming from certain parts of, the definition is plants. It comes from certain plants. And it has a kind of like a spiny texture to it. And it's for incense and perfume. But the difference is here, one was frankincense from the tree. Second was myrrh. It was from a plant. And out of that, they had the third thing, which was a pleasing attraction. So myrrh represented pleasing attraction. What they were giving to him was not only something of value, not only something of sacred honor, but they were giving him in a third way a pleasing attraction. It is a perfume if you will, a drawing in something that is aromatic and these were the gifts that were given to him and this is where I draw my conclusion and I just want to press this in and then I'll be through and and I have a, a very, I'm intent about this. Here's the part of the whole story that I've never considered before. And that is to be able to present the gift of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Somebody had to dig in the earth, mine, if you will, harvest a tree, find a plant. And I don't know how long it took them and I don't know the whole process and I'm not sure what amount of labor and effort they went to, but they said, whatever I have to do in this purposed effort, I'm getting that out of the earth so I can give it to Him. I'm getting this from that tree so I can give it to Him. I'm going to work with this plant until I can give something to Him. See, here's here's the whole deal that I'm preaching about today. The intentionality of it all is, if anything of great result will come out of your effort, it will only happen because you, on purpose, put forth the effort. Before they ever made the journey, before they ever loaded up, before they ever followed a star, before they ever got to a house, before they ever did any of those things, somebody somewhere was out there finding gold, frankincense, and myrrh and saying, I've got to approach him with something in my hand. I cannot come before him and give him anything less. But here's what we want to do. That's that spirit of generosity that I'm trying to tell you. It flows out of your life. You're looking for opportunities to be a giver. You're looking, and it takes work to be a giver. You you can't just, it's all going to happen and be a giver. It doesn't happen that way. Somebody gets up, opens the mission, warms the place, gets the, you, you get it all. You see how it's all tying together. This isn't accidental. For the things of God to go forward, it requires people who not just talk about how wonderful he is but if you think he's that wonderful and your treasure is there and your heart is going to be there then you work to do whatever you have to do to in some way honor him give him things of value give him sacred respect give him something that is a pleasing attraction to God oh Lord help us to realize in this season that he doesn't want leftovers he doesn't want people showing up saying well I just didn't have anything to give there's a whole lot of other places to get free lunches but if you're ever going to live for God the way that you need to live for God he looks for people who walk in saying I brought worship with me today I brought sacrifice with me today I brought an effort that I put forth to bring gold and frankincense and myrrh I'm not just going to serve God in a mindless way in a leftover way but in a prepared and when a within a plan and in a deliberate offering that I am bring to Him. Purposed effort is the only thing that will provide intended and intentional results. And this is what I'll say to you and I'm going to come to a close here.